The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Alyssa, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. We're excited for this one. So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. I own a company, Everything's Not Okay and That's Okay, which name seems more relevant really than ever right now. I work with companies, organizations, leaders to help them create more inclusive workspaces. So to help hire really more diverse talent, but taking that a step further and creating inclusive spaces where people actually want to be versus feel like they need to be. That's great. And don't sell yourself short now. You have a podcast. Tell them about the podcast. I do. Thank you. So my podcast is called Humanize Your Workplace, where I interview guests to be able to share their stories and how they can make that transition and how they've created spaces where people actually want to be and get to know each other and feel valued and feel heard. Perfect. All right. So today we're talking about inclusive language. And I know people are probably getting burnt out with all of this types of these types of discussions, talking about cultural sensitivity and all those things. And I know there are going to be some hardcore business folks out there who are saying, Kwame, why are you wasting my time with this? I want to make better deals. And so one of the things that I think is really cool about your approach is that there is a very clear business purpose behind it. So Can you tell us a bit before we get into actually the interview interview, can you tell us what inclusive language means to you? And we talked a little bit about this before in terms of our focus so much on the diversity space. Um, There's three types of diversity in terms of demographic and experiential and cognitive, and we focus so much on that. But it doesn't matter about the numbers if you don't have inclusion. And inclusion is not just in a professional space. It's you not being invited to the party, not being invited to an event or an organization. Inclusive language and communication makes people feel welcome, makes people want to stay. It costs about $10,000 dollars to hire a new employee. So you might have 50% black black employees, but if it's the different people coming in and out, you're spending a lot of money. Um, so we have to really focus on the inclusion and belonging space as well as diversity in order to make any change or any progress whatsoever. Absolutely. And one of our previous guests, um, Lisa Cummings, she talked about uh, I know her. Oh, you do? Oh, that's great. 
Yeah, she's fantastic. And so one of the things she talks about with Strength Finder is that you can use it as a tool to create cognitive diversity within your organization. And so again, we focus so much on race and gender, and those two categories are very important. But we also have to think about cognitive diversity. I think about in, in um, universities, um, there's a really interesting situation where it's there are a lot more liberal professors than there are conservative professors, and they're not feeling very included too. And I think the thing is, if we can expand our perspective on what inclusion means, then we can really move the needle forward in our businesses. It's true. And with cognitive diversity, I do a lot of things as well with StrengthsFinder, but you're talking about different people on the spectrum or ADHD and different places like that. Experiential diversity is really important. So we might look similar. We have different experiences. Maybe we speak different languages, have different hobbies, live in different places. All of these things are important. And sometimes when we think about just diversity, you're boxing people into different spaces and you can have multiple dimensions of you that all relate need to be included and taken into consideration, but it's not that easy to do. You know, it's not that easy, especially with neurodiversity. You can't see that somebody needs something extra or somebody needs to be included in that space. Yeah, this is fantastic. I, I really like this. And again, it just shows how powerful this can be. And then today we're going to talk about um, inclusive language, how we actually communicate with people. And then the three things we're going to focus on are first, the global benefit of inclusive language. And we started to talk about that. Um, a specific example, I'm sorry if versus I'm sorry that. So we're going to actually talk about what that looks like in action. And um, based on my morning, we actually have an example that we could use and you're going to break it down. Um, I haven't even uh, told her, uh, everybody, what I said. And so we're going to see if I did well or poorly. And then number three, we're going to talk about the biggest mistakes you can make and how to recover from them. So this is great. This is going to be fun. So let's keep on digging into the global benefit of inclusive language. So what else do we need to know about that? I talk a little bit about this in my book too, How to Listen and How to Be Heard, Inclusive Conversations at Work, because it's everything we say and we do and what we're not saying are our kind of movements, our nonverbal cues that, that play a part in inclusion. I think right now there's so much going on in the world and we can be a little bit closed-minded. You have your opinion, you have your idea, you're quote unquote listening to other people's ideas, but you're not really taking it into consideration when you're making a decision. You've already had your idea. You've already know what you're going to do and what you're going to say. The global benefit, I think, is really truly active listening to the other side, the other person, and then using that information to inform decisions. It doesn't mean that you are bending your values, changing your ways, but the fact that you are including somebody and actually really including them in the conversation, listening to what they have to say, and knowing you can change your mind later on really means you're an inclusive, inclusive communicator and inclusive listener as well. Makes a lot of sense. And um, again, you, you didn't mention this at the beginning. Say the name of your book one more time. Just sure. to make sure everybody heard it. Of course, How to Listen and How to Be Heard, Inclusive Conversations at Work. Fantastic. Yeah, I, w I was just reading a book this morning, Liminal Thinking uh, <laughs> versus Subliminal Liminal Thinking. And one of the things that the author said was that if you are seeing things from only one perspective and you can't see in any situation or any version of reality how you could be wrong, 
it's probably because you're missing something. <laughs> and it's, yeah. And it's so tough because it involves taking your ego out of it a little bit. You know, it's okay. You've said something, but I'm so hard and fast on my opinion, but you've said something that may sway my mind a little bit. It doesn't mean you're a better leader if you're not taking into consideration what I have to say. It's okay to change your mind, your opinion, the situation to make it better. Um, but that includes a little bit of removing your ego to, to listen to what's happening. Right. And so how can we do that? Because I think everybody understands in theory, yes, I should remove my ego. We don't just say ego go away. And it's like, ah, you got me. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. out of here. So what are some practical steps we can do to remove the barrier of over excessive ego? I think it's asking yourself a series of questions even before you make the decision. Did I reach out to people who think and who act and who experience life different from me actively before I make the decision? Did I use that information to inform my decision in, in moving forward? Did I make the best decision for my team, for the organization? You can even be more specific and say, how does my decision impact black and brown colleagues? How does my decision impact other diverse colleagues? We need to consistently ask ourselves these questions or the ego is always going to be there but you have to be honest with yourself about the answers but i like to even write it down and have these checkpoints before i make major decisions is if did i do these five things and how will this impact the greater good of the organization Ooh, this is fantastic and i am i'm a i'm a big fan of checklists and so for the listeners of course uh, you've heard me say it probably every episode if you go to americannegotiationinstitute.com guide you can get access to over 15 free negotiation guides salary negotiation how to create your own negotiation style negotiation guide for introverts um, car negotiation anything you can imagine um, i think this would be good for a guide and so i'll uh, i'll have my team whip one up so if people go to that link they'll also get access to a guide that can help people think through the questions that you just talked about in a systematic way so we'll, we'll chat afterwards and i'll get some things down sure. so i think that'll be really helpful because again these are things that are easy to overlook we're living in a time where we're busy and oftentimes unfortunately people use busyness as a status symbol i just don't have enough time to think thoroughly about what i'm doing and how i'm interacting with people so actually giving them this checklist i think would be really helpful in that um any other benefits that we're missing when it comes to inclusive language I mean, there's so many other things and even just everyday examples. And I would even take it beyond the language piece of it, of looking at restroom signs and are they binary images that you have for, for individuals. I mean, there's so many benefits to inclusion. And I like to use, I'm not sure if you are familiar with the, the curb cut effect. It's when you really design for the minority and it helps out the majority. So thinking about when you're looking at the curbs, uh, how they go down, it was originally created for people on wheelchairs to come up the curb without it being this high kind of steep step. But when we think about certain things, even no smoking in general in certain places really started on airplanes and flight attendants saying that they didn't want it in different spaces and that actually benefited the whole. So it was originally for their benefit. Um, Seatbelts were originally for kids and their safety and now benefits the, the larger group. So thinking about the practices and things that you're doing each and every day in your organization, how can we we help the minority of the people that are here that actually really benefits the majority. Having non-binary bathroom signs 
is not something that just helps the minority, uh, the minorities within your organization. It's something that creates more inclusion, um, making single-use bathrooms non-gender specific. I always had to run across campus or across a different place to go to the bathroom. If I can just go next door to a single-use bathroom that now is open to all genders, that makes your life so much easier and you don't miss a meeting or you're not late to a meeting. So thinking about inclusion in the communication sense, but in a broader way, and then disseminating that information down to your group, right? This is the change that we're making and this is why we did it and this is how we're communicating our inclusiveness throughout our organization. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. This is really cool. Those are, <laughs> those are some examples I did not even think about. And I think about in my life now, too, because, for instance, I'm, um, I, thankfully, I don't have any um, disabilities. And, but I was in a program where it was um, designed by a woman named uh, Taikia Wright, who I need to have on the podcast, by the way. Um, she created this program for minorities and people with disabilities. And so it really helped me to understand the challenges that they have. And um, she uses a wheelchair. And one of the things that I recognize is that when we would go to restaurants, not all of them had doors that she could open. And, um, but one of the things is you don't need to necessarily invest in an, um, an automatic door and a lightweight door is something that would make that place a lot more accessible. And like you said, it would make our lives easier because a lighter weight door is easier <laughs> to, to open. But it also shows that we have a lot of blind spots just right. because of the way that we're seeing the world, um, metaphorically and physically actually too. And so I think, again, thinking about ex uh, inclusivity broadly, um, we need to bring diverse uh, perspectives to the table because they're gonna be spots that we miss given our unique perspective. Yeah, and it's not to go deep into the bathroom situation, but I remember being pregnant. There's so many bathroom doors that open in. So you have your stall and then you have the toilet paper. And when the bathroom opens in, I could barely fit into the bathroom stall. Being able to make it so it goes out 
people of all shapes and sizes can fit into it or else you're somehow having to squeeze in to get into the bathroom stall. So thinking about each and every day and just asking people, what can our organization do to make you feel more included? What are you know small things that would make your job easier? And they are going, some of them might be huge big picture things that you're not able to change right away, but something simple like that might be something that you would be able to do, but we don't know unless we ask and include people in that decision. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And I think it provides us with an, an easy segue into the next part because sometimes we're going to make mistakes. And the thing is, there's there's a way that we can recover. And of course, right now we're sp speaking about issues of inclusivity, but the way that we can recover in these situations is going to be very similar to the way that we can recover in other situations. So for those people who are out there who've made a mistake, I unintentionally offended somebody, um, my, my intentions were pure, but somebody got hurt in the process. How do I recover? It happens all the time. I even talk about this um, during my TEDx talk. We do it all the time unintentionally. And it's going back to what you were saying. It's the intention versus the impact because we might have come across and we might have tried to say something one way and we're intending in this direction, but the impact didn't land that way. And we mentioned a little bit earlier in terms of adjusting the phrasing. And one piece of this phrasing is using the phrase that versus if. Um, if I said to you, I'm really sorry, if you feel that way, I'm essentially questioning if you really feel that way. I'm not really apologizing for my actions. I am questioning the validity of your feelings. When I say, I'm sorry that you feel that way, I'm affirming that your, your actions, your feelings are real. And it's an easy tweak, but it's something that really takes time um, to start to have those conversations. And I think a lot of it, anything with high emotion, and it's really hard, obviously, now getting face-to-face -face and being in person, but if there's a conversation that needs to be had, trying to get as much face-to-face -face as you possibly can, whether that is Zoom or Skype, so you can try and read the emotions, and then it becomes a conversation between both people and not an attack in both directions. And sometimes texting and email might work, depending on the relationship you have, but you can't read as much into the written text without exclamation points or emojis to show kind of the emotion. So any way that you can really simulate this this face-to-face, -face, this in-person approach for anything with a high emotion, I think is also really important. Yeah, I agree. And the, one of my rules of thumb in general when it comes to issues with high emotion, the more emotionality, the more personal the contact needs to be. And so that's helped me. And I think for those reasons that you expressed, it, it'll help you when it comes to recovering. But Alyssa, I am going to push you on this mm -hmm. because isn't it all about perception? Because if my intentions are pure, and then I unintentionally hurt somebody because of their unique situation. It has to do with the way that they're perceiving it, right? So wouldn't if be more appropriate because it's all about the way they're seeing it, not about my intention? I don't, I'm that person. So it's not how you feel about what they feel. So you cannot 
whether that was your intention or not, that person truly feels offended, hurt, upset about the situation. It doesn't matter if you agree or disagree with their feelings, if you're on board with their feelings, it doesn't take away the way they actually feel. Now that it's a continued conversation, I'm sorry that you feel this way. Can you tell me a little bit more? What did I say that was specifically offensive? What would you suggest I say or do instead? The conversation doesn't stop at that if or that stage because you truly honestly don't know what you said or did maybe that offended them so you might continue to say or do those certain things over and over again because your intention is pure but i don't think you should invalidate somebody's opinion or feelings just because it's not the same as your own you're absolutely right because here's the thing emotions are real whether or not you agree with how somebody feels about the situation the feeling is real to them right so in in many ways pain is subjective too what hurts you physically doesn't hurt somebody else physically and vice versa. But it's not us, it's not our position to judge how they're feeling, um, right? It's we need to accept how they're feeling and then adjust accordingly based on what we hope to accomplish out of the situation. And I think going back to intention versus impact, we have to recognize that, um, again, thinking about it medically, we have to think about the, the damage that was done. And so triaging this, what needs to be done first? Because it's not that we don't defend ourselves or explain the fact that our intentions were pure, but people often take it um, the wrong, I don't want to say the wrong way. People often take it negatively if your first response is to defend yourself rather than attending to the emotional distress that they're feeling. And it's... I think one, defending yourself, and then two, blaming the other person. And you might not even realize that you're doing that, or I didn't mean to do that. I was just rushing this morning and you know that happened. Or if you came to work on time, this really wouldn't have been the situation. And you just, and there's things, and quite frankly, it's people you have a closer relationship with that you just blurt things out with and don't realize. I know I do sometimes to my husband and close friends, but it just, it's two of those things that are traps that you can easily fall into. This is perfect. This is a perfect segue into your analysis of what oh, no. I did this morning. So here's the here's the situation. So I was uh, I came back from the gym and um, I was ready to go. I love what I do and I'm very competitive, so I like to work. And um, it's I get really anxious when I am uh, when when things aren't moving efficiently. Let's move it. Let's say it that way. So. Whitney decided to cook Kai oatmeal this morning, which is a very nice, loving thing to do for a busy mother. She's a doctor. Um, so she cooked him oatmeal. And in my mind, my little amygdala is saying, why would you cook oatmeal? A sandwich is portable and I could get on the road. Oh my gosh, we're faster. the same person. <laughs> yes. So that's, that, was the, that, was, that was it. But I stayed quiet. I stayed quiet. Okay, I'm going to sit down. I have my phone. I can get work done while Kai, while, while Kai is eating his oatmeal. All right, fine. And so I'm doing a good job to this point. All right. And then um, Kai finally eats his oatmeal and then we need to go. And then Whitney calls daycare to see how much we owe. And so she gets the number. She writes a check. Okay, we're doing well. And then she says, oh, I need to get an envelope. I'm like, why do we need an envelope? I've been, <laughs> I need to get to work. And so um, I start getting short with the way that I'm saying things. For me, from my perspective, I'm being efficient with the way I'm saying things in order to save time so I could go. And so when we're, I'm rushing Kai out the door, uh, Whitney says, why are you being so short with me? I'm saying, I'm not being short. I'm just trying to leave. I just want to go to work. And I look at her face. And I'm like, oh man, I messed up. <laughs> I That's messed impressive up. that you recognize that and then did something about it. <laughs> exactly. So here is the text. 
I said, I'm sorry. And I remember our pre-interview chat. So I was going to say if. I'm like, oh, she wants me to say that. So I said, I'm sorry that the way I spoke to you this morning made you feel hurt. I will change the way I speak to you in the future to make sure you don't feel this way again. Analyze this. If I messed up, feel free to tell me. No, I love it so much. I think, I mean, there's so many, the only thing, it was very clear that those were the emotions that she felt if there was an opportunity and this isn't just what you're saying if there's an opportunity to have a conversation with someone so you can by no means spit back the emotions but paraphrase aggregate the information that they gave and then kind of have a plan of action going forward but ensuring the emotions that they felt are the ones that they shared with you and not making assumptions of hurt upset sad frustrated so getting kind of clarification on that I think that would be amazing if you'd be able to hold up your end of the, <laughs> I will never make you feel kind of this way again. But ending that, I think, is a good thing to say. I hope to never put you in this position again. My goal is to never make you feel this way again. If this happens again, please call me out in this situation. What can we do to triage our mornings a little bit better to get on the same page before we leave in the morning? I think you did an amazing job. And the fact that you even initiated and I'm sorry text, I think is, is huge in the midst of, I'm really busy, I need to leave, these things need to be done, but you stopped and you did it. And knowing you, and I'm sure with her knowing you, that's a big deal. You were on your way, you were really busy, but you stopped and took the time to do that regardless of everything else that was going on. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, I'm, I'm glad. That's, that's good to know. It was good. Because, um, yeah, and I, I recognize too that um, oftentimes I do better, only with Whitney, uh, I do better when I text it. Because in every other situation, especially, it's so funny, the harder mediations, the harder negotiations, I'm like, ooh, this is getting messy. I like this. And I get sharper. Uh, but when it comes to, like you said earlier, when it's the people that are closest to us, that's when we get shaky. And I said, let me wordsmith this, 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 uh, this nice, I'm sorry, text first. And then we'll engage in a conversation after I kind of cool down. Let me get to work. Let me get some work done. Let me feel a little bit successful. <laughs> then. <laughs> then we can continue it because I know I'm not in the right mindset. But I think that's huge too, that this text isn't the NLBL for you or anybody else who's initiating these conversations. This is a continuing thing just because you, it's not a checklist of, I said, I'm sorry, I can move on and it can happen again. Then I'll go back and check it off. It's an ongoing learning process. It's something else, you know, that, that'll consistently happen, but that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, great. Yeah. And, and, and for the listeners too, um, we have, I'm sorry that as the introduction that we're going to use, but also do not forget the fact that we need to address the future. There needs to be some commitment to address, addressing your behavior or adjusting your behavior to make sure that you can avoid causing this kind of damage again. And I think we can also try to involve them in the process too, and say, what can I do to, to make sure this doesn't happen again? From your perspective, what's solutions or suggestions do you have for me? And then uh, kind of uh, going further on what you said there too, letting them know that I might miss this again in the future, but feel free to let me know so I can get better. I think those are important things to add on to the apology to make sure that it's received well. 
and make sure it's sincere. Yours was genuinely sincere. I think people can smell that BS of your apology <laughs> from a mile away, not yours, but just in general, be sincere about your apology. Be sincere of call me out. Let me know what can I do better. If you're not, it's going to come across you're not and then you're going to keep doing it and people are going to keep trying to call you out and you just lose trust and it's really hard to gain something back if you put yourself out there of call me out let me know what we can do better if people spend the time and sit down with you to figure out a plan to make it better and you just completely ignore it because you weren't in it it just makes it worse exactly oh this is great this is fantastic <laughs> well i got a lot out of it i'm hope uh, listeners i hope listeners did too <laughs> because this was helpful for me and then let's finish up with number three now that we know that we can recover when we make mistakes and we will make these mistakes because we're all learning we're all learning in this um number three the last thing of the interview we're going to talk about the biggest mistakes you can make and then what you can do to recover so based on your experience when it comes to these types of conversations what are some mistakes that people make often I think the first is just the way in which they initiate or start a conversation. And I do think it depends on the relationship that you have with the individual. So one, if you're texting or emailing, you might be hot and heavy. So taking that time back, you know, really wordsmith it and figure out if this is what you want to say and how you want to say it. On the other side, it's making assumptions about what the other person says. And then you just start fuming and fuming and fuming. So really identifying, is it best actually? to even text and say, can we just hop on the phone for five minutes? I just want to kind of hash this out with you. Because going back and forth and text just like blows things up, um, it can be. So one is taking that step back, identifying the medium in which makes sense to have the conversation and not making assumptions about what the other person said or did or, or why. I think you can go down a rabbit hole of wondering why somebody said that or why somebody did that. That's a conversation to be had with that individual and not just kind of making things up or hypothesizing of, of why their intention was different. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, again, easier said than done. Yes. Um, because our, our minds are wired for story. And so if we get a fact or a single data point, which could be the interaction, what was said in the interaction, what was done, then we are automatically designed to start to weave a narrative about what happened and the intention behind it. Because again, it's a, it's a safer thing for us to assume agency behind things. So for instance, if we're in the jungle and um, we hear uh, uh, something crackle behind us, um, it's in our best interest to assume that something did that and to assume that that thing that did it did it with malintent so you can protect yourself. That's the way that we're wired. And so we have to recognize that cognitive tendency. And once we see it, hey, oh, do I know this to be true? Well, let me, let me address this. Let me think deeper about this. That's why one of my favorite sections in my book, Finding Confidence in Conflict, is uh, called the, the benefit of the benefit of the doubt because again that's one of the best things you can do for yourself in these conversations because if you're constantly assuming malintent then it's going to alter the way that you interact with the person and it could bring the conversation down and i always um, sometimes not always but bring somebody else to check me of uh, did you does this make sense to you does this not make sense am i maybe reading it the wrong way can i practice with you and go as as cheesy as it is does this phrase make sense even what we did if you didn't hit send you know, going back and forth of, oh, okay, maybe this makes sense. And it's somebody you trust, but also taking stock and, and really 
qualitative data points. Is this usually how you are in the morning? Is this usually how that situation is? Or is this just you're having a bad day, a bad moment? And we can kind of forgive those and have conversations about that differently. So looking at the relationship that you have with this individual and how it's changed or evolved from this conversation, I think is important too. If somebody is just off, you know, in this one day, it's a different conversation versus a consistent and ongoing conversations about the way you treat one another. Yeah. And, and going deeper on that, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with um, the neural diversity that we were t- discussing, right? Because oftentimes if we ask people how do you see this? Am I thinking about this the right way? We are most often going to find ourselves asking people who generally think like us. And if you have a friend who doesn't think like you, then you could bounce it off them to get a different perspective because there's, it's tough to find the absolute truth. But what we can do is start to triangulate to figure out what the truth is. Let's look at it from multiple vantage points to get a better understanding of what's actually happening. And I think you can even use phrases, and it's okay not to know the answer of, I'm not really sure the answer to this. I'm not really sure the direction we should go. Do you, this is what I'm thinking. Do you have any suggestions? You know, using those, those phrases and owning up to this, or I used to think this, and now I'm thinking this direction. Let's talk about this or let's hash this out. I think, again, it removes the ego from the situation, and it's really thinking deeper. If you really want to go somewhere and you really want to make a difference, you have to be willing to put yourself out there a little bit and share what you might need help with. And we can't, you know, make assumptions about what other people want or how they feel unless we talk to them, which is not, it's not an easy thing to, to start those conversations for sure. Right. And, and now again, circling back to the beginning, this shows the benefit of humility. It shows the benefit of vulnerability being open and recognizing your potential gaps in understanding and your potential um, failings in the past makes people want to help you through it versus making people want to tear you down. It's like, oh, Kwame doesn't think he can be wrong. Let me make him aware of how wrong he is. Yes. <laughs> and even, you know, your organization as a whole, I'm thinking, you know, making these statements and phrases and things, you know, and not owning up to past mistakes, just just be real, right? People can totally see through those holes, those cracks, that things that need to be had. And we'll focus more on that than what you think you're trying to bring out into the public. They'll spot those cracks first. Exactly. Wow. This was great. This is really helpful. I appreciate this. And um, before you go, make sure you remind the listeners about your book, about your podcast and how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot from you during our conversation. <laughs> um, you can find me on my website at notokay.okcoach.com. Uh, my podcast can be found where all podcasts are, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Humanize Your Workplace. And my book is where all books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, How to Listen and How to Be Heard, Inclusive Conversations at Work. And I just I appreciate it. <laughs> no, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. 
the best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.